Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at TMNT Mutant Mayhem, uh, a unique animated feature. I wasn't sure to feel about this one. Really glad we watched it. Stick around for the review. Afterwards, we're talking about something special. All right. A, a cult classic in, in my eyes. Uh, maybe not for everybody, but I'm really excited to talk about a very summer-fueled flick. A 2013's Pain and Gain from director Michael Bay. Uh, the story of Daniel Lugo uh, and his criminal <laughs> ring of bodybuilder body kidnapping including Dwayne The Rock Johnson and early Anthony Mackie is absolutely worth talking about. Please stick around for the review. In between that, we're going to talk about the death of cinema. Uh, what has got our big studios down this summer? All right, I want to look at the big five. 35,000 foot view. Just talk about, you know, July at the box office and how things went and maybe how Disney's feeling versus Warner Brothers and then Paramount's over there and Sony's doing their thing. We're going to get to all that. Before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Talk To Me is getting a sequel, A24 announced today on Twitter. Uh, this is a whole big thing. We just covered this, what, last week on the show? And now here we are, Danny and Michael Philippa are getting another horror film. Uh, what do you know about this, Andy? So just a week after the uh, this movie came out, made really good money, and not a ton, but it, it had a five, it was a four or five million dollar film, has made over 20 million now. Way over, so it's been it's a hit by budget standards. A twenty four again pick, picks a good good feature, and uh, yeah, we they've greenlit a sequel. Uh, the directors already have some ideas that they you know they said when you develop a a film or, or a you know property, you, you end up writing a lot of like backstory or extra story on the end to kind of help you fill out the film you're making. So they have a lot of ideas, a lot of content already ready roll into a, a potential sequel so another hit for a24 regarding where talk to me Two might be headed uh when recently speaking to the hollywood reporter uh the the, the duo brother directors uh said they had filmed some some of a prequel that they had hoped to release at some point they said they actually shot an entire ducket prequel already it's told entirely through the perspective of mobile phones and social media so maybe down the line we can release that sounds a little bit like uh missing you remember those movies right andy like where everything's like on screen and screens oh, screens and it. screens i know i we never really got into them for the show uh they said but also writing the first film you can't help but write scenes for a second film so there's so many scenes the mythology was so thick and if Ave 24 gave us the opportunity we wouldn't be able to resist i feel like we jump at it that's got to be the 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 interview that, that landed them this movie right i'll bet a24 read that and they were like deal absolutely uh, uh talk to me was made on like a five million dollar budget a little under uh cleared 10 million in its first weekend is already on its way to making a profit totally a banger for a24 congrats all around i think uh, a good a good story, right? Like independent horror that, that shines through, doesn't just go to something like Bloomhouse. Uh, not a bad feature, right, Andy? No, not at all. It was definitely a highlight of the summer. Uh, one of the scariest movies of, of the year. Some people, it was, it has been a little overhyped as the scariest thing of the year. It's not quite quite up there, uh, but it's definitely, you know, some top-notch horror. It's, and it's nice to see something new, new, you know, cast director is just something that that's you know in the non-franchise non-ip uh sector yeah it sure is uh, like i said we covered it last week on the show you can go check out our old review uh wherever you get your audio podcasts or you know on youtube where there's a lot of cool things happening come check out the youtube channel and of course talk to me is in theaters uh would recommend the, sh the short notes if you're interested and want to go see it please go check it out our review spoiler free uh our next story uh Adam Devine, uh, Devine, Devine says Marvel movies ruin comedies. 
this this came out uh, just a few days ago. Uh, Adam uh, star Pitch Perfect and Workaholics was on uh, uh, Theo Vaughn's podcast, and somebody had asked him what kind of what happened to the mid budget comedy. You know what I mean? Because he's tried to make a couple in his day, and he said he had a theory and it involved Marvel. Uh, and since then, it's kind of spun out of control. And do you want to give the people, uh, I guess, a bit more info? Yeah, and a lot of people have talked about the kind of loss of the comedy film. They don't really make comedies anymore uh, that are released in in theaters. Uh, it seems like they're kind of they're either stand up specials or comedies go to uh, the streaming services. And so, uh, what he said here is, you watch comedies nowadays, and there's it's not a comedy. Where are the jokes? Where are the bits? Um, and he's saying that you know Marvel kind of ruined this because. They started making, adding a lot of humor to the superhero movies, and the superhero movies essentially turned into semi comedies, and so that's kind of where they've gone. And then you know the kind of movie that he would make against something like Pitch Perfect, not made anymore. Not a completely uh, wrong, wrong or or inaccurate opinion, but I think this is just it's a shift in the industry, and you have to adjust, which is what the movie business is all all about you, you know taste change technology changes you you got to be fluid and adapt yeah like uh, on the one hand I, I i can agree with the initial sentiment that like marvel has definitely changed the landscape of of smaller budget films absolutely going into the pandemic a lot of people were talking about how successful endgame was and it was like god the mid-budget the mid-budget movie is gonna die like it's not gonna make it especially through what would turn out to be like a two-year quarantine um, obviously there's still some space for that. We've seen, uh, movies since the pandemic, like, uh, that Dave Batista Kumal Nanjani flick Stuber, uh, which I actually kind of liked in a weird way. Uh, there was no hard feelings starring Jennifer Lawrence. It just came out a little while ago. That was kind of like a throwback mid-budget comedy. They still exist, but they're not as common. And the thing to remember is like Marvel did not necessarily kill that. Uh, and audiences like lust for something bigger and flashier heard it and and the availability of things like streaming services right like i can hop on netflix and find 18 mid-budget comedy like sitcoms i can hop on paramount plus and find like 12 things that were made last year that will scratch that itch for me if i need some laughs you know i can go watch workaholics if i like uh, adam divine's own show um i totally get where he's coming from though with like the influx of the like giant blockbuster just squeezing out like where mid-budgets used to be well and one of the things that i've said is that you know, superhero movies have taken over several genres. Like one, one is comedy and the other is action films. You know, we used to get some hard-boiled detective thing every summer, shoot em up, shoot out, shootouts, shoot em ups, fisticuffs, all, and that was all kind of taken over by the superhero film, which was a great excuse to do action. And so you no longer really needed like a kind of sta standard run-of-the-mill action film because you could just attach that to... A superhero property and that's kind of happened with comedy like they've started they've added so much humor that you know the i mean a lot of marvel movies are funnier than a lot of quote-unquote comedies that that i've seen in my life and i think what what that means is uh it's again it's changed the landscape that you you don't have the the five ten million dollar comedy films you did with like uh, things like american pie or, or road trip which was essentially i mean none of those people were comedians that they were written by comedic writers but he had regular actors. But what's, what Adam Devine is talking about is like the $20, $30 million comedy. And it's when you start getting that expensive, no one wants to spend that kind of money on a comedy film. You could spend half that and put it on, on Netflix. Or that's where if you are going to spend that, it's going to end up on a streaming platform. It's not going to go wide release.
Right. It's particularly fitting, like following what he's promoting on this podcast. Adam Devine was promoting his film, The Outlaws, which is coming out on Netflix. Uh, it's produced by Adam Sandler's Happy Mad- Madison Company, right? And Happy Madison used to make theatrical features and then they pivoted to Netflix. The, the mid budget comedy didn't die, it just became streaming fair, you know? And that's totally okay, I think. Uh, that's where I ended up watching. Adam's movie Game Over Man. He made it with the workaholic guys. Yeah, that that went straight to streaming. That came out just a few years ago. Um, so I don't I don't know. I realize that cuts back budgets. That doesn't make anything good. I don't want to say Marvel like hard killed anything. Um, it's an amalgamation of things. But I do think it's funny that Adam like Adam's face has been put next to like the Marvel logo X'd out and like Mickey Mouse <laughs> crying on the Hollywood Reporter front. It's page. so great. Like, he's he's getting hung out to dry by these publications. Like my I, my my man. And I think the last thing I'll say about this is that what it does is it kind of raised the bar for comedy. Like if your action movie, if your action superhero movie is now really, really funny, that means like a regular, you know, run of the mill comedy, like uh, the hangover, something like that is got to really be even funnier. It's got to be 10 times funnier than it was 10, 20 years ago. And you got to somehow wrangle in budgets of having larger stars because that's what comedies used to be. You would get some big stars and, you know, some professional comedians in there and they get expensive when, when you need the talent. And again, the, the, the $5, $10 million boater comedy is just not, it's no longer there around. Yeah. The, the, the stoner boner comedy is dead. Long live the stoner boner comedy. <laughs> uh, we keep it here on Oscar for more from, uh, all the hot comedy takes of Adam Devine and other obvious uh, actors. Uh, one more quick story before we jump into TMNT. One two punch from the box office this week. Uh, Barbillion. We've finally done it. Andy called it weeks ahead. I couldn't even see it. I don't believe it. I'm ashamed of myself. Andy, what do you think about the box office this week? My God. A uh, stellar weekend at the box office, not just because of uh, Barbenheimer, which continues to do well, but newcomers, uh, the Meg 2 and the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Also, really, really strong starts. Meg Two made a ton over globally, uh, 150 million or so. Already made back its budget. It's a, it's another. <laughs> it's again, spectacle travels well overseas. <laughs> it's a movie you don't have to understand. You don't got to do homework. You don't have to see ten other uh, franchise films. You I can just it. go go in. Uh, Haunted Mansion continues to uh, take the L <laughs> and and drop another 60, 70 percent. And if if one person predicted a barbillion before me, even it was none other than Margot Robbie, who apparently used uh, used that in, in the pitch for the movie. She said this will make a billion dollars uh, as part of the, uh, her pitch when her and Greta Gerwig were trying to get this thing made. Uh, so it's hard to and here we are. Yeah, I, I mean, I said on this show when we read that story that she had pitched a billion dollars for Barbie. I was like, oh, honey, like it's going to do good. I was like over o- over half a bill, I'd bet for sure. I did not think it would take the leap it's taken, like incredible performance in foreign markets. I saw people at the mall this weekend decked out in Barbie gear just walking out of the AMC there. Like it is far too popular for its own good. I can't believe it. All the success to Greta Gerwig, who's now... Uh, objectively the most successful female filmmaker of all time, at least in one film, uh, if, you're, yeah. if, you're, if you're zooming in on one project. Um, historic. Historic. And and additionally, uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't help but laugh at the Meg 2, the trench. Uh, it pulled in three days triple what Disney made on Haunted Mansion in three weeks. And it did... <laughs> 
And it was 6% when it premiered on Rotten Tomatoes. 6%, Andy. There's like 10 <laughs> sites, there's 10 movies on that whole website that have six or less. Like, incredible. Incredible L for Disney. They couldn't... I'm excited <laughs> to talk about them in our middle segment, like between reviews here. Yeah, I mean, the, the Meg, I've said this before, Spectacle travels well overseas. Uh, it looks... I mean, the Meg looks like a, a, a fun movie if you're looking at, like, to go out with your friends and just see something dumb and have a good time you know why not if you've already seen barbie uh it's the the other thing i mean there it, it's got a weird it's weird counter programming but it, it totally worked and of course uh teenage mutant ninja turtles also off to a really good start for what is essentially a family film it's rated pg yeah it's wild uh we have one more thing in here about elemental i know we're going to talk about it uh when we kind of talk about disney uh, after our tmnt review and you think it's worth mentioning now or should we just sit on it uh, basically, in regards to its, its performance, how it's done since it came out. So, Elemental started off very weak, and there were all these articles about uh, another Disney fl- flop. It's dead on arrival. Pixar is done for. Um, and it's actually had legs. It's, you know, this came out in mid June against The Flash and has been in theaters almost this whole time and has made $400 million. And it was a $200 million movie, so it's a, it's a, at least gone into the profit territory, which you can't say for a lot of other Disney things this summer. Um, it, it's had it's the little uh, Pixar engine that could. Yeah, it's, it's surprising its international appeal. Uh, its biggest market has been South Korea with uh, f- nearly $50 million so far, like more money there than they made in the United States, which is bonkers to me. I, I can't be quite right. I must have those numbers wrong. But still, uh, South Korea really picked up that movie and ran with it. I know in the film, we, we covered it on the show, uh, there's definitely a slant towards, I want to say Eastern cultures. I don't know if it's ever specified in the movie, like who exactly it's it's inspired by or where I should say. But um, I'm glad it's doing well. Like I, I was, look, I was, I was bummed when, when Elemental came out and underperformed. I like Pixar. I do. I, I think there's some real spirit in that, in that company. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm pleased to hear this. I hope they can, I hope they can do this on the next one and the one after that and the one after that. Yeah, it, it's definitely... Uh, it's good for Pixar and good a, a small like silver lining for uh, Disney. Uh, Pixar has just had a mediocre run of the last like four or five films. They haven't made a lot of money. I mean, a lot of them were released released to Disney Plus. That seems to have tarnished the brand. So it it's it's a good it's a good win for them. And uh, yeah, hopefully they can get some more success off that. It is. Uh, that being said, we've spent way too long on news. We got to get into our first review. And I kind of hung Andy out to dry with this one. Uh, he had planned on doing the pain and gain uh, opener. And then at the last minute, no, no, I want to do that. I, I suggested that movie like a child. So he's taking the TMNT review. Uh, I appreciate it. Andy, please uh, take it away. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. So that's quite the, the title. So this is the... Uh, kind of refreshed iteration of this property. Uh, it's been, it started as a comic, was a TV show, movie, has been remade a couple of times in both uh, animated, uh, animation, animated shows, film. Uh, in this iteration, we meet our, our four main characters, Donatello, Michelangelo, Leonardo, and Raphael. They are Gen Z teens. <laughs> They're like 15 or 16 and uh they live in the they live in the sewers they don't quite fight crime yet they they have learned the the ways of ninjutsu but they only use their skills to 
like go get groceries and not be seen. That's that's the kind of the the only reason. But we we our our turtles are in that teenage phase where they want to be accepted and want to be known, and they feel like they're missing out on public life because they are they are hidden from the human world. Uh, their quote unquote father, Master Splinter. Uh, humans are dangerous and they'll hurt you. You have to stay away. You have to stay hidden. But they yearn for that acceptance. They and they want to experience things like high school and making friends and being normal. Um, and so that's kind of where where we start. And they eventually get into an, an adventure where they have to save the city, which uh, means they have to eventually reveal themselves and all the issues that will uh, come with that. We have an amazing cast. Uh, voice actors all the all of the teenage uh all of the turtles are newcomers and they are all teenage uh cat that's a teenage cast which really works because a lot of this is improv improvised um we'll go through our cast a little bit later but that's our setup zach what do you think uh going into a teenage Mutant ninja turtles movie is probably not new to a lot of people who might be listening to this show because you've probably done it before there have been a few of them right uh, since they started coming out in 1990 with the live action films there were what four of those it kind of did a reboot in 2007 that was all CGI. Michael Bay, uh, who we'll talk about with Pain and Gain here in a minute, uh, had a swing at it in 2014 with some weird-looking turtles and Megan Fox as April O'Neil in, in classic Bay fashion. Uh, so going to see new turtles, right? Like, it's not exactly a new experience. It's like going to see a new Spider-Man movie. And I think, like, what makes this stand out is two things. One, the much younger year one turtles, almost a la, like, uh, the Batman, right? Robert Pattinson being like year one Batman in, in uh, uh, that recent Batman movie. Uh, and number two, uh, the voracious art style that is not done justice. If you listen to the audio version of this show, we got video up on YouTube and Facebook. If you haven't seen the trailer, you probably have. Come check it out. Uh, the art style for this movie is so striking. It is 3D animation uh, with frames cut out to make it look a little bit more like animated feature or like a stop motion, even uh, covered in textures of uh, scribbles and like goofy doodles and the kind of stuff like a kid would doodle in the, in in their in their notes right at school when they're not paying attention uh produced by seth rogan uh teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant, mutant mayhem is a fresh take i think on the turtles that a lot of american audiences haven't seen before and so far it's doing really well uh people really seem to like it uh, it's got a lot of, like a 96 on rotten or something a 92 like probably the highest reviewed turtles film so far uh, so I can say going in, I didn't know what exactly to expect, but I'm really pleased with how I felt coming out of it. Uh, where do you want to start talking about it? Um, well, we can start uh, with our, our our plot. Again, we, we have our, our turtles wanting to just get out, out there and kind of learn, like make human friends, learn to be humans. They eventually run into, of course, the classic April O'Neil uh, voiced by A.O. Itabiri, um, in in a probably the first kind of different incarnation uh, uh, incarnation of the character, they run into her by happenstance, and they they realize they can kind of help each other out because one of the the I think great things about this film is it's it's about acceptance, and both April and the turtles want acceptance from pe people who don't. With April, it's at school; with them, it, it's with the, kind of the, the human world. They eventually stumble on a larger plan. By the bat, by the bad guy, Superfly, voiced by Ice Cube, to uh, you know, kind of take over the the city and the in the world, which often happens in in these things, and they have to kind of unravel this mystery, get information, and, and also stop the 
this this plan and the plot it just moves like the story it, it never really dragged for me I, I felt like the pacing was really good and really interesting the whole time a bit of a drag for me in the second half of it. Like I really got on board with the first half because the world building's really solid. First off, everything in this uh, kind of very vibrant style is very textured and it's very it's very brightly lit with big colors, right? Like of the first couple fight scenes in Ninja Turtles are lit entirely in red, like very very intentionally stylized, a la Spider Man to the Spider Verse. It's hard not to see. Uh, the inspiration, but it's fine. It's popular nowadays. And most importantly, like it works. Uh, every member of New York city, every, every citizen you see, they have the weirdest shape faces I've ever seen. <laughs> animated feature <laughs> everybody has odd proportions except for the turtles who are mostly symmetrical and also april o'neill minus her hair like our leads are pretty pretty good to look at and everybody else looks terrible and i i, I think <laughs> it's one to to participate in like this kind of throwback childish uh, doodle style uh, but number two to draw a comparison between the turtles who are perceived to be mutants and normal people who actually you know are pretty unique all on their own right it turns out everybody Everybody's pretty unique and everybody has somewhere they're coming from. Like you said, the movie uh, is, is a lot about acceptance, like these kind of general themes of family and, and expectations, like what you think people will think of you versus what they actually think. That stuff all plays in uh, with a group of turtles who are fairly insecure, uh, being that they are kind of just now getting out of the sewer for the first time. Uh, they're not the comfortable veterans we know and love, right? Like they're kind of spooked by stuff and they don't really want to fight, but they know that they can. Uh, they don't really have a plan. Uh, they just want to kind of get pizza and hang out on the roof and, and film stuff on their phones. Um, I like that like it feels like a comfy world to step into. Like even though it looks like a Henry Selleck movie like Nightmare for Christmas or James the Giant Peach or Coraline, uh, it comes off feeling like somewhere that's comforting because the turtles are young and vulnerable. Uh, Splinter is really nice, voiced by Jackie Chan. Like he's very kind. Ayo uh, Dabiri is, is April O'Neil is pleasant. Uh, and you also are comforted by a, a really good soundtrack, even though it's not in there a lot outside of the needle drops, which are all fine. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross uh, did the soundtrack for this movie. Did not expect their names at the end. Big synth heavy. Reminds me of Stranger Things. Um, a lot of elements that I think people like rolled into a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And like that's that's a good show of, show of cards for the first hand. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I was going to mention that 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 the the animation um a lot of people have said that like you know Spider-Verse is easily the best animated film in the summer and this comes out on, and I I had heard someone say like that may not be true or that may not be you know the best animated film in the summer and I was like that's a little much that's a that's a tall order um and while it, you know that's going to be very I mean I've seen I've seen people say that that they they are preferring this movie to Spider-Verse which which is nuts that that's even in comparison but there's just some amazing sequ sequences action-wise uh there's a great one at the beginning of the second act uh where the turtles are are visiting different uh like crime bosses and you get this brilliant cut it's it's one action scene but it's cut between like these four different four or five different crime bosses and it's it's just masterful editing um and i, I was blown away by that sequence and there's a number of other sequences like that yeah, I do also want to talk about uh, kind of our, our, our villain cast, the mutants of the mutant mayhem. 
they're introduced really fast, which surprised me. Uh, but you know, it's a kids flick. Like it's it's not going to take its time, like waiting patiently to unveil each individual person. And in only a hundred minutes, it doesn't have time. Uh, the, the the pace moves fast enough where you're not getting bored, and it gives you a lot of villains up front really fast uh, with a really stellar voice cast. That was one of the first things I remember noticing about this movie when it was announced. Uh, Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, Maya Rudolph, Ice Cube. Uh, John Cena is in this movie. Uh, Mr. Beast has a voice role as a New Yorker. Like, pulled some really interesting strings to get a bunch of good people in here because of, of course, Seth Rogen producing the film. Um, but I think it makes, like, a really unique band of miscreants for our turtles to have to kind of deal with, right? And it turns out when they meet them that they're not exactly scared of them because they realize they, like the turtles, are also mutants. So you have this unique blend of empathy. Reminds me of like uh, 20th Century Fox's X-Men movies, right? Like, well, Magneto's a mutant too. He's not so bad. Maybe people are the real problem. Like, that's a pretty good setup for like a kid's movie, you know? Like with some new heroes they may not be familiar with. Like, I think that's a strong foundation for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to get into is our, our villain, or villains. Um, we have uh, Superfly, Voice by Ice Cube, but there's a number of other classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle villains who show up. Um, if you ever watched the uh, the cartoon, you'll notice we have uh, Rocksteady, Bebop, Leatherhead, Wingnut, Baxter Stockman, uh, not Splinter, <laughs> Mondo Gecko, Ray Filet, Genghis Frog. Uh, these were all, if you watched the the cartoon uh, growing up or any other inspirations are... These are people that show up a lot, and they're all voiced by, you know, impressive cast: uh, Maya Rudolph, John Cena, Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne, Giancarlo Esposito, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan is playing is voicing Splinter, uh, Paul Rudd, Post Malone, Hannibal Verse. So we have this great cl- cast, but it, it's wonderful to see this many of I- iconic characters in this. I'm actually kind of surprised because I figured they might save a couple of them for. A, a sequel, uh, but they kind of give you a bunch of the classic villains all kind of up front. I think I was charmed by kind of the comedy in this movie. It doesn't all work, uh, but it feels uniquely teenager, right? A little, little punk. Uh, sometimes you'll have characters joking about, uh, you know, this, this, the state of society in New York. And other times you'll have a character like puking on camera, this like goofy scribble green ooze that doesn't look that gross, but it's still somebody vomiting for a joke. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like walks this funny line because I think it's trying to swing at what like 15 year olds uh, reportedly in, in the VO booth like they let the teens who voice the turtles do a lot of improv use that kind of stuff drew on influences from uh, kids who are kids today and that makes something that feels contemporary but uniquely doesn't feel overstepped or obnoxious it'd be really easy to watch a movie starring four 15 year olds and be like this is the worst 90 minutes of my whole entire life but like you they're they're not bad like it's funny where it needs to be you get a laugh a lot of good throwbacks to old turtles i think i feel like i heard the theme to one of the game boy games or something in there somewhere like overall i i, I think solid all around i've been really pleased with it uh andy what else you got i feel like i'm running out of things to talk about well i i I think i wanted to comment on that on the improv uh this part of what makes the dialogue i think really work and be fresh is you you have teenagers speaking like teenagers like because like help us if um if if 40 year old seth rogan had to try and write dialogue for for teens like we would never really get uh something that was convincing and, and authentic so 
the improvisational nature, I think, really sells it. And they're like Gen Z turtles. You know, they all have phones. They they have computers. Like somehow, somehow they have internet and a service plan down in the what? Yeah, one of them has prescription glasses, and the other has braces. Like, how did they work that out? <laughs> That's where I'm. Yeah, you're just hanging too much of the logistics of, of it. Yeah, but th- I think that that really creates uh, just a, an authentic scene. And and I mean, there's a lot of like modern day slang in the way they they kind of talk and uh, to each other. There's a lot of reference. There's references to like anime and just things that teens are into. So they really worked hard to to really capture that generation. I think like if Barbie is like an easy bake oven, this movie reminds me of like a, like the, like the, like the critter version of that, like the plastic bugs you'd make in the molds, right? That like smelled terrible and are gross and you use them to gross out your sister. Like I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trying to tackle that audience is not a bad thing because nobody else is swinging at that. And like, I think a lot of kids are, are a little that way, right? Like they want, this kind of crass humor that comes in this movie, but also like has a unique amount of heart and a surprising amount of good music. Again, fantastic needle drops all around. Combine it with like an art style that is, albeit inspired, uh, maybe a little too inspired by Spider-Verse, and you get something that works really well. It's funny to see Paramount put out a feature like this, and meanwhile, a big studio like Disney is like seemingly too afraid to jump into the pool and make something unique. Yeah, better not do anything too weird. Um, oh, we'll make Wish, and it'll look kind of like this, but not really. This is Disney made Paper Man for God's sake. It ran in front of Wreck It Ralph. It was exactly what these people are doing, and like I don't know, they just don't seem to want to. I don't. Sorry, I didn't mean to turn this into a Disney rant. The point is, like, I think Paramount's got a hit on their hands here. I could see a sequel coming, uh, or probably a series on like Nick Nickelodeon. That's usually the way they go, right? Um, I don't know. I, I think they're in a really good place. Yeah, I, I've I've heard that uh yeah there's gonna be some sort of spinoff series, but probably another uh, full fledged movie, um, as well for sure. Yeah. Any other thoughts for recommendations, Andy? Uh, I was gonna say that I heard that the original Spider Verse from 2017-2018 um, is partially what inspired the movie, not just the style, but just like the the idea that you could take on kind of more complex complex subject matter and really dig into like what it's like to be young in a more kind of serious way instead instead of just making a you know uh paint by number action film like i guess the, the michael bay one was and so that's part of what inspired we, we get a kind of a more a story with a lot more heart than we kind of normally would have andy would you recommend tmnt mutant man absolutely it was a lot of fun. It's a short film. It's it's only a hundred minutes, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's really funny. It has good action. If you're a fan, been a lifelong fan of the turtles like myself, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's reinvented in a lot of ways to keep up with modern times. You have actual teens doing the voices. You have lots of references to things in the modern day. It's a lot of fun. Highly recommend. I'm in the same boat. I think Paramount's got a hit on their hands here. Um, I think when we talk about how animation has changed over the past few years, Spider-Verse will be mentioned. This movie will be mentioned. Like, this is doing something fresh, something different, something new. Um, But it's obviously inspired by what works. Uh, Comic book films of new, like Spider-Verse, 
it's not a bad move. I, if anything, I'll bet somebody at Sony is probably pissed that TMNT is having this success because it is so obviously like lifted off of the magic spider versus brought to the table. But I don't think that should disappoint anybody. I think that should inspire other studios to do better, right? Like that's what the market is. That's how we should do this. It's a marketplace of ideas. And in that marketplace, I think TMNT is in good hands going forward. Excited to see more from these turtles. With that being said, uh, we are are going to do something a little different in the middle of the show uh this week uh andy and i kind of talked about it before we got started about what we wanted to talk about and i thought you know i kind of just want to talk about the studios from from like a uh, you know thirty-five thousand foot view and just see how people are doing after the summer right our, our five big ones warner brothers paramount universal sony and disney i just want to go down the line talk about a couple things they put out that were good a couple that were bad and maybe how they'll be pivoting going into winter, maybe what next summer might look like. Some some early forecasts following a late rain. Uh, Andy, do you mind uh, giving us the title of this segment, please? It's time for the death of cinema. Fantastic. So I think the best place to start is Warner Brothers, because I think right now they've got the biggest feature of the year with Barbie, of course, starring Margot Robbie. Uh, this came out just in July, a few weeks ago, and I think a lot of people knew it was going to do good, but again, a lot of people like me didn't know how good it was going to do. And alternatively, on the seesaw side of that, they also had The Flash, which was like a huge bomb, a huge comic failure of a bomb. Could not have possibly made its budget back. Ezra Miller is is lost in the woods. We'll never see him again, right? He, he's he, and he'll kill and he'll kill again by God. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think I think they've got Blue Beetle coming up next, which looks. I think I think not bad, uh, but we'll see. Andy, where are you at on Warner Brothers? I, I think they're doing good, right? <laughs> they're up and down for sure. I mean, they took the biggest loss of anyone. It, like apparently, the Flash is like the biggest flop of all time, um, and Barbie is now one of the most successful movies of all time. So they get a little bit uh, of both. <laughs> um, they're definitely going to ride. Uh, the success of Barbie to, you know, new films. It's definitely going to be a franchise. The flash obviously was, it's been problematic because of Ezra Miller, but also it was, it was a, a film that um, James Gunn inherited from when he took over and there really wasn't much he could do. I mean, the film was basically finished. It was made, it was bought and paid for Like he just got to kind of put it out and it does what it does. Um, so there wasn't much they could do about that. You know, the, a lot of these decisions are made years in the past, so it, it's it's tough. But so they they kind of come out in in the middle. It, it 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 will be interesting to see how they go go on moving forward. I am looking forward to Blue Be- Beetle. I think it could be a success only because it's probably not near as expensive as the Flash was two hundred twenty million. To- uh, dollar budget which is ridiculous um i, I think it, it's august I, I think it could probably uh, do some decent numbers i think it's so funny talking about even the idea of canceling the flash because it was a big thing after warner brothers canceled batgirl remember starring brendan Fraser as firefly a movie they shot and produced that's functionally never going to see the light of day uh they also had a scoob movie like a sequel nearly done it was christmas oriented uh that's never coming out and additionally we just heard they lost like two million subscribers when they merged hbo and discovery into max um 
it's an expensive service and they're making expensive movies. In the case of Barbie, it's paid off dividends. And I know Mattel's got a bunch more coming down the line and they'll probably make them all with Warner Brothers. But uh, Warner Brothers is in a weird spot right now. Like they're on some not thin ice per se, but like, man, if they hadn't had Barbie to dig them out, it would not be looking like a good summer. Um, it's a good thing it worked out. I, I want to talk about Paramount next. Man, any other thoughts on Warner Brothers? Yep, ready to go. Paramount's got two big features this summer. The first one we've already seen, well, we've seen both, actually. The first one we just talked about, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, uh, which obviously has a ways to go, but I think has been seeing a fine box office return and an even better Rotten Tomatoes score. Before that, of course, we've got Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, part one. Uh, the seventh Mission Impossible film that we covered on this show. Andy's a big Mission Impossible fan. Local historian, local Mission Impossible story, and Andy Draper on the case. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know how I, remember, I don't know how I, re- I remember the lore because it's. I I don't I don't I don't think you ever decided you're going to be our resident Mission Impossible guy. I think you've just kind of felt fallen into it. But you're here now, by God. Uh, Mission Impossible obviously came out to fine fanfare, but kind of got pulled under the wheels of Barbenheimer, and I think is not going to end up doing that good, right? Yeah, it, it it's had, a, I guess, maybe 400, 500 million, maybe. If it's done that well, it's going to be okay, but you know they were hoping for another billion-dollar movie. Um, and while Mutant Mayhem is, is doing well and will have a good run, it's a, it's a smaller film. It's not going to make... You know, it's not going to be a billion dollar property either. Uh, so this is probably an overall negative summer for uh, Paramount. And Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2, which I assume is next summer, is going to have its work cut out for it. Because when the, the first movie in your two-part finale doesn't do real well, uh, that doesn't bode well for the second part. No, uh, I am a little nervous about where Mission Impossible is headed, but you know what? It's fine. Saw a great article this week saying when will when will, when did Mission Impossible movies turn into action films? They've always been uh, thrillers, by God, right? And espionage films. It's like okay, slow your roll, Variety. All right, like <laughs> I think I think Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise know what these movies are, but I also think seeing the seventh film in a franchise, you know, if it doesn't look big and bold enough, I think it may not excite people that much. Fast and Furious had to pull all kinds of tricks to get people back in the theaters. Meanwhile, Mission Impossible marketing was very uh, Ethan Hunt jumping off a Swiss Alps on a motorcycle oriented. I'm excited to see what part two does. Keep it here for more. I got to talk about Universal. Uh, two big bangers out of Universal this summer. Uh, number one, namely the Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, made in, of course in conjunction with Illumination and Nintendo. Uh, they've got Super Mario World up in Los Angeles, and I think they're building one out in Florida. They're making more movies. Uh, huge win for Universal. And then, of course, Oppenheimer, the other half of Barbenheimer, which did not do as well, but still a huge W for Christopher Nolan. It's his first film at that studio. Seems like uh, Universal wants to lift up unique voices in their tent in the coming years. They've signed Daniels after everything ever all at once to do their new features. Uh, Jordan Peele has an exclusive deal with Universal. Zach Kreger from Barbarian, I think, is Universal now. And, of course, Christopher Nolan is all in following his lead from Warner Brothers. Seems like they're having a pretty good summer, Andy. Yeah, they're having a great summer. Uh, Oppenheimer just it's amazing that this film has done the kind of money it has to f- because of the kind of film it is it's a three-hour biopic which is largely people talking in rooms and somehow it's selling out IMAX through through the end of the month uh, people are going to see it they're sitting it they're enjoying it and you know Nolan does what he's done best is to bring the art house style to a blockbuster 
Um, and and it's and it's connecting with people, which is really surprising because I I would have not thought that people would be on board with three hour biopic. Yeah, well, <laughs> you you thought wrong. I think we all knew Super Mario Brothers was going to do well, but one other thing worth mentioning, I think, is uh, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, um, kind of horrifically underperformed, especially for an original DreamWorks animated feature, right? Right, it, exactly. It it was a, a big bomb. Um, unfortunately, it came out against um, Indiana Jones Five over that Fourth of July weekend. It just didn't get a good. Uh, start and also we we need to remember of course fast x ah yes how could we forget the uh this this was really successful overseas but not uh didn't do really well in the states but still made like you know five six hundred million enough to for them to to move forward with whatever this you know the second part of it is i think the studio that's been kind of one-sided this summer is Sony. Um, Sony, infamously, the only one of these studios that is not currently trying to fund their own streaming service. They just license money out, to license properties out to other studios, and they're making a bank. Uh, Sony put out, I think, two big features this summer. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, or Across the Spider-Verse, Part 1, which uh, had incredible performance. Uh, one of the highest-grossing films of the year is probably winning Best Animated Feature if something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles doesn't sneak by and scoop at first. Uh, and then two, Gran Turismo, which we haven't seen yet. It just got pushed back two weeks. In fact, a lot of Sony's upcoming calendar got pushed back craven the hunter got pushed back because the rider strikes uh i think nah dune is universal right that's not a sony property um i think i i think they're they're doing this thing where they don't make many features but they try to really pick the ones they do and it's paying dividends at least in the case of spider-verse not sure about gran turismo yet we'll see Right, exactly. Uh, Spider-Verse, you know, probably my favorite film uh, of the summer. Huge hit for, you know, it was only made on a $100 million budget, made $600 million, so big hit. We'll see what the Gran Turismo movie does. I, I've heard it's, you know, only because Neil Blomkamp is the, the director. I've, I've heard it's a good kind of experiential film, th- things, something like Top Gun Maverick, where you feel like you're in the plane, you probably feel like you're in the car. Uh, some other small hits for for sony include insidious uh five and uh no hard feelings uh the the comedy the the the, speaking of of uh raunchy comedies uh with jennifer lawrence um so those two have have been uh smaller hits for again (laughs) insidious the red door made like 150 million dollars on a 20 million dollar budget uh horror continues to reign reign supreme yeah uh one place where horror is not reigning supreme is at the House of Mouse. Uh, Haunted Mansion was laughably poorly received. Uh, like I said in our news segment, uh, it made a third of what the of what the Meg Two made in three days at the box office. Uh, obviously, cost way more. Uh, they spent way more on marketing, way more on the cast. Not a great outing. Additionally, uh, Disney got totally washed at the beginning of July when they put out Indiana Jones, the dial of destiny, uh, one of the most expensive films ever made at like $300 million before marketing. I don't even think they made the budget back. Like I, I, I take it back. I think it came around a half a million. So like or half a billion. So 
it'll probably get close. Maybe it'll just clear like the investment, but my God, by the skin of their teeth. Reshoots, James Mangold is now making a Star Wars movie. I can't believe they're putting him on another one. Love James Mangold, but I think him and the House of Mouse maybe do not work great together. The only real redeeming story from Disney is Elemental. And that's only redeeming because it came over time, which who could have seen coming, right? Like great performance in overseas markets. It's pretty rare that something starts weak and gets legs in this business. Usually for something to have legs, you gotta have you gotta start big. Things like Barbenheimer, both big movies on the opening weekend, and they're gonna have legs for the rest the rest of the month. Maybe into September even. But usually if something starts weak, it, it doesn't really gain any momentum. And Elemental has managed to do that. So that's a big win for them. Haunted Mansion, the Haunted L comes <laughs> back to Disney. Uh, I think probably one of the the biggest disappointments is Indiana Jones. Uh, it's just it's a film of another time. It, it's not exciting. I was super bored. It's so long. It's like a half hour longer than any of the other Indiana Jones films. Um, it just it belongs in the in a museum of film and and and, <laughs> and entertainment. Uh, yeah. Thank. Hopefully they're not going to make any more of these, at least with Harrison Ford. You would have to completely kind of reinvent that that franchise. But uh, $300 million film, somehow the most expensive movie of the summer, although you would not know it because where is that on screen? Who knows? Maybe all the de-aging they had to spend on on, on Harrison Ford. Before, before we close this segment and, and move to Pain and Gain, I just want to have a quick like macro conversation about these five studios right if they were all sitting around a poker table holding cards deciding what they're going to play next in their line of film releases how are they doing some have streaming services some don't for what it's worth like i think sony and universal have positioned themselves into really unique spots sony because of their stance on streaming which is we're not going to make a streaming service and we're going to save money that's wise so they can pick their projects a little better universal because they're investing in directors they're picking like solid creatives who are going to make really unique work going forward they're not just going to lean on what's come before paramount i think still has a little bit to learn but they're doing fine like mission impossible did fine part two is going to do fine tmnt is exciting i think they have some cool things happening warner brothers i think is in a little bit of trouble a little bit of hot water but they've got dc under a new direction james gunn's taking it going forward i think people are really excited about what he'll be doing they're making another Matt Reeves Batman. They're making another uh, uh, Todd Phillips Joker. Like, I think Warner Brothers will be fine. And with the success of Barbie, obviously, they have a hot new property in their hand. And then there's Disney. My God, Disney. Uh, they have got to figure out what they're doing and start pivoting now. Pull the parachute, Disney. Bail out of whatever plan you're in. Toy Story 5 will not save you. It will not make it better, you know? You guys have got to go somewhere. Andy, do you agree with that mostly? Hot takes on the studios? Where are you at? Well, if you look at the the properties that have been really successful this summer, it's all the ones taking big risks. Oppenheimer, huge risk. Barbie, uh, another I mean, expensive film, but it, it paid off. But it, it's also that no one really knew that how to make that movie that that had been gestating for like eight to 10 years. Uh, at one point, Amy Schumer was attached to be Bar Barbie. Kind of glad that didn't happen, but it, it's, it, I, I mean, all, things that have, have been successful have, have been wildly uh, just ambitious spider verse. Uh, another big, big example. And the things that have flopped have been tired sequels, 
tired properties and you know it seems like disney like they don't have in, they're not making anything new to lean on like they made all those classic animated films in the 90s and now they're not making any classic films now for you know for the young kids now they're just hoping that you like the lion king live action remake Yes, uh, Disney has built their brand off of making merchandise and amusement park rides off of good creative. They've, they've fun functionally cannibalized their own ideas in the past. They've just continued to do this now uh, with the creation of their live action remakes and, and sequels that people are getting tired of and, and acquiring Pixar and having them go about half and half on making sequels versus new projects. I think Disney's got to pivot sooner rather than later. But speaking of big risk we need to talk about our final film of the episode uh i am so stoked to talk about this movie i'm gonna try to keep all my uh details in in the review proper so i don't want to waste any more time uh the movie is uh pain and gain so pain and gain is the story of daniel lugo i am daniel lugo and i believe in fitness says mark Wahlberg, our lead uh based on a true story uh, pain and gain was made in 2013 by kind of a frustrated michael bay uh, it's interesting he had made three transformers movies at this point transformers one two and three i can't remember their surnames and he'd wanted to make this script since 2000 since the year 2000 when he read it the script for pain and gain uh, he did it on a 20 million dollar budget budget micro budget compared to his uh transformers movies in fact that's small for most of his filmography and he wanted to just step back and say okay i don't want to do the big cgi robots for a movie i just want to do something small and unique and a bit of a comedy and a bit of a drama and a bit of a thriller uh with uh mark Wahlberg, dwayne johnson and a very early anthony mackie who hadn't even gotten into uh, the marvel universe yet where you'll see him now as the falcon aka uh, our captain america uh Pain and Gain is a based on true story uh, crime heist thriller uh, starring, of course, uh, our three leads as a group of bodybuilders in Florida in 1994 who all uh, become the Sun Gym Gang <laughs> for Sun Gym, the gym they all go to and work out at, uh, when uh, one of them decides to kidnap a client, uh, a wealthy client, and uh, have all of his assets signed over to them, the bodybuilders and then let them go uh, and it'll totally work and be a great scheme uh, it's harebrained for sure uh, and it's a little goofy uh, right up until it all goes horribly wrong uh, I'm so excited to talk about this movie the first time I saw it was uh, just after college I had a lot of people tell me it's big like like spring like Harmony Korean Spring Breakers or like we would later see with uh, uh, Martin Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street right like big excess brash surreal you'll love it I'm excited to talk about it here on the show. Andy, uh, this is your first time seeing it. What did you think of Pain and Gain? There's nothing more that I love than a criminal enterprise done by idiots, like a harebrained scheme that's destined to fail, but they kind of go through any. And that's what we get. It, it's, a, it's a very fun movie because we have these three meatheads uh, trying to be criminal masterminds, failing through the majority of it, but somehow kind of succeeding for a little while before things eventually get out of control and, and unravel and like these things normally do. Um, it's fun to see Michael Bay bring his Michael Bay isms to a smaller film. What this is essentially a, a true crime movie uh, comedy and to have those big kind of Michael Bay sweet, the, you know, the rotating shot, the, the, you know, 
looking up the just the different act the the little bit of action that is in here to have that on just done on a smaller scale it, it's an interesting project for sure yeah uh, bay like i said wanted to do something that was away from transformers but he wanted to bring his signature style that he picked up working in music videos way back in the day that's what started his whole career it's what got him going on bad boys and you get that dna here for sure uh pain and gain is shot like any other hyper saturated huge lens flare big muscles <laughs> like sweating in the sun michael bay movie big explosions slow-mo when the cops come screaming out of the SWAT car like everything about it is supposed to look as cool as possible and it's a perfect fit for a movie about american excess especially in 1994 right like the rock is blowing lines and <laughs> like our guys are getting a pump on in the middle of a murder and there's like all kinds of insane things happening all in the uh, 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 all in the effort to say uh, that this is a story about just how far people can go with the American dream and what exactly that means right is it, is it, is it to work hard and make some for yourself or is it to take what you want you know um, pain and gain the title is derived from no pain no gain uh, which I hear is an old Ben Franklin quote but has been obviously attributed to bodybuilding in the past lifting weights and that extends to our cast uh, who are looking great in this movie Mark Wahlberg put on like 40 pounds of muscle in seven weeks after he signed this film Dwayne Johnson clocks in at I think 300 pounds which is less than I think he is now I, I think he looks small in this movie which is bananas because he's so tall they had to cut the roof off of Mark Wahlberg's Ferrari in this flick like to get him to fit in it you can see his head sticking out the top in a bunch of the scenes and Anthony Mackie who had like three weeks to train when he signed this movie so he did not manage to get nearly as jacked but uh, it works out. Our guys joke about steroids, lots of drugs and protein shakes, lots of drinking and excess, strippers, bodybuilders. Like, all of this is present in the playground that is Pain and Gain, a movie that, again, is kind of a dark crime thriller. Um, very charmed by his view on what would otherwise be, like, a pretty dark script. Yeah, this is... Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Wolf of Wall Street, Actually, because it, and it's around that same time because it is about kind of this these people wanting this life of excess. They want to be exorbitantly rich, and the only way they know to kind of get there is through illegitimate means. A uh, means, uh, and what's hilarious is their their whole plan is to kidnap this person, make them sign over their assets, and then uh, murder that person or do away with them. And and so and all of that goes wrong. The the kidnapping. It takes them multiple attempts to kidnap the guy. Uh, it takes them over a month to break him enough to sign. Like they were, they were hoping it would be they'd have him for a day or two. He'd sign over, over everything. They got to hang on to him for a month. Uh, they kind of lose track of him. He, he, they don't actually successfully kill him. So they got to kind of just run away, and they they got to put lies upon lies upon lies to to kind of make their scheme work, and it does work for a little bit. Um, but then they kind of get to a point where they need to, to pull off a second job and everything starts to unravel. You're, you're, uh, Wall Street, I think, is a really great comparison. And I also love that movie. No coincidence. 
Um, I mean, they Wall Street came out in 2014. This is 2013. So like these were nearly shooting at the same time. Like it's and it's cool to see Scorsese's take on like American excess versus like Michael Bay's. Right. Scorsese is a bit more pulled back, a bit more thoughtful. You become sympathetic with your characters. But like <laughs> Daniel Lugo and friends here are not particularly likable. Like from the top, I don't think you're supposed to like these guys. Right. And they're funny, uh, especially Dwayne Johnson, who is to me surprisingly refreshing to see him play against the type that he's developed in the last decade since this movie came out. Right. Like now he's much more big brash. He's funny, but he's not pulling anything wild like John Cena or Dave Bautista might pull. But like this movie, this was wild for him. This was, this was something he doesn't normally do like background character. Everything goes wrong. (laughs) And, and Matt, yeah, Matt, go ahead. He would never not be the main character. If they were to make this today, he would be Daniel Lugo. Like Right. And Mackie like, feels totally in place because of how we've seen him in his work in the Marvel Universe now. But like his name wasn't even on the poster. Like he was he was an afterthought, like to in the cast of this movie. They barely signed him before they started. They were gonna get somebody else. Like and it's funny watching it now because he feels like he fits. And it's like, oh yeah, that's Anthony Mackie. Yeah, I love him. But like at the time, total, total stray. Like he does a great job. Uh, the only one that I think that's really weird um is our kind of first kidnapping victim. He's played by Tony Shalhoub uh, from Monk. Uh and it's brutal, man, because the IMDB trivia says for the longest time they had John Turturro signed to do it and he would have been so much better Shalhoub's fine he's fine he's definitely not likable you don't like the guy um, but once you get to our private detective Ed Harris who's a very nice surprise to see coming out of uh, Michael Bay's The Rock right 1995 uh, Ed Harris uh, shows up and kind of figures out how to maybe dish out some justice on these clowns uh, in a very satisfying fashion yeah it's again it's a shame the, that John Turturro didn't get the the role of, of that character because it, it, it would have been hilarious but the the cast still works also an appearance by rebel wilson as uh she's a medical person that anthony mackie's character has to see because of uh some negative steroid side effects they strike up the this this romance w- which eventually p- plays into the larger uh plot uh, of the film you know because they do kind of get away with this crime for a, a little bit and they they you know inherit this guy's house and his money and his businesses and you know they're kind of living large for a little bit i think i'm so impressed at like the michael bay isms of this movie i know we kind of already talked about him just to wrap up my thoughts like it andy's right it looks like a michael bay film in every single sense of like almost every shot you could look at and be like is that a michael bay movie you'll see gags right out of bad boys like in bad boys 2 um a lot of the camera rotating gags that camera rotates around your action uh, it even does that segment from bad boys 2 where uh the camera rotates around uh our two cops like on a fireplace and it's like panning through walls it does the same gag in a scene in this movie when like Mark Wahlberg's arguing with one character and Dwayne Johnson's arguing with another and Anthony Mackie's dancing with the stripper at the same time in the background, like goofy, wild off the wall and such a refreshing movie on a small budget from a big director. This is the kind of thing. Like I love when directors do this. Like I loved when Joel Cohen pulled back and did the tragedy Macbeth, right on like a micro budget. I liked when, uh, God, Sam Levinson made Malcolm and Marie on Netflix, like black and white pandemic movie. Like, I think it's cool when Steven Soderbergh makes something, makes something like Kimmy, right? Like uh, a smaller feature made during the pandemic. Like I think directors challenging themselves with a smaller budget on purpose is a great exercise. And it clearly juiced, uh, 
bay to make two more Transformers movies, which is nuts. We got five of those. And, uh, you know, Ninja Turtles the year after this. And because of that, like, I think Pain and Gain has a really unique place in his filmography, right? Because it's not a franchise film and it's not a sequel to a movie he already made. Uh, it's uniquely its own thing. Like it's, it's one of his few, like based on a true story films. Uh, it is a very small budget and it comes off like being something really bright and flashy. And, and I, I think it's a shame that it didn't get its due back then. I think it's cool that people now seem to come around on it at least a little. I hope Andy did anyway. We'll find out when we get to recommendations, but Andy, any other thoughts before recommendations? I think I'm ready. Hmm. Andy, would you recommend Michael Bay's 2013 seminal masterpiece, Pain and Gain? Yeah, I would. Like I said, I would maybe say save it for streaming if it were out now. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. And it, it's, again, you're seeing someone known for big action who's got these storied franchises, Transformers, or his his uh, action films of the 90s. And you see him take all that, that same kind of uh, approach to a smaller a crime film, a heist film with a bunch of idiots. And it it's really interesting to see. And it, it's a lot of fun. It's a funny movie. Um, really interesting. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat. I think I think Bandgate's great and everybody should watch it. It's totally not for everybody. It's a hard R. Another uh, unique standout in Michael Bay's filmography. Doesn't always pull that off. This one's got it. Nudity, drugs, murder, crime, gore. It's all here. Uh, like I said, it's it's a very exciting like flashbang of a movie. I think it's totally worth watching if you're interested. I'm glad we covered it on the show. It's available on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, if you have it, I don't know if you need the Showtime package, but if you have the means... Go check out Pain and Gain. Perfect film for the summer, right? Stay in, get yourself an, an ice water or like your favorite cocktail and enjoy uh, Pain and Gain at, at your own leisure. And with that, I think we're done with episode 223 of Off Script. God, Andy, we got a lot of episodes of this show. <laughs> what are we watching next? Dude, I know, yeah. What are we watching next week? Uh, so we're going to be taking next week off. There's no big releases. Uh, th- the large release is The uh, Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is a kind of a Dracula-adjacent story. We're going to be skipping that one, but that is out this this Friday. Uh, we will be back on the 22nd with Blue Beetle, the, the final, no, not quite, almost final movie in the old DC canon of films. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, we'll see how it is. It looks at least, it looks like a good time. Uh, we're also going to be get, checking out the uh, old boy re-release. This is just some FYI. If you're a fan of the 2003 classic from Char- Park Chan-wook, that comes out uh, playing the 16th through the 24th, I believe. So catch that if you're int- interested, this big re-release. Uh, we're going to see what other film we're, we're going to actually look at for the show. But some other notable releases are uh, Heart of Stone, which is an action film starring Gal Gadot on Netflix. Uh, Ennis, Ennis Main, which is something we might watch. Uh, this is a, a folk horror movie I'd heard a lot about. little film from the UK. It's out on Hulu uh, tomorrow, August 9th. Check that out if you're interested in it. And some others. Uh, Bones and All comes out today on August Prime, uh, August Prime, Amazon Prime, August 8th. And uh, later in the month, we're going to be checking out How to Blow Up a Pop line, Pipeline, which comes out on Hulu, August 24th. So a lot of new, smaller things out on, on streaming. Check those out if you're interested. And we'll see what other big movie we're watching for the show. 
I'm excited about how to blow up a pipeline on Hulu uh, on the 24th. I definitely got to check that out. Uh, also, we covered Bones and All uh, back when it came out in, what, December, November last year? Uh, you should totally roll back and check out our review and then check it out when it comes out on today, the 8th. All right. It's on Amazon. <laughs> okay. As soon as you're done listening to this, go check that out. And, and for what it's worth, like I, I'm a little skeptical about Blue Beetle. It looks a little paint by numbers. But hey, man, like sometimes we're surprised. Excited to go check it out. Oh boy, very excited. Hope that movie rocks. Uh, we actually have covered it on the show once before. I couldn't tell you when that episode was. This will be my second time seeing it. Very stoked to rewatch uh, Park Chan-wook's Old oh Boy. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, episode 223 of Off Script, or any previous episode, best way you can support your boys here at Off Script is just subscribe to the show on your favorite iTunes podcast platform, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Google Play, and all the usual audio places. Of course, you can also follow us on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday about 5 o'clock. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube where we're uploading individual reviews, clips, segments, all kinds of cool things happening over on YouTube. Come check us out. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on all the usual social media spots. You can give us a follow over there too if you like. Leave a rating and review. Comment where you can. Like if possible and ring the notification bell. I think that's the other one other thing I'm supposed to say but most importantly just subscribe to the show get new episodes of Off Script delivered straight to your phone every single week movies are expensive podcasts are cheap and we here at Off Script have got you covered of course we have a website offscriptfilmreview.com and you can email us correspondence directly at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com think, about, think that about covers all the bases from all of us at Off Script the home of Bold Cinema I'm Zach Lewis and I'm Dr. Draper thanks for watching